0: So we're doing good. Um so this weeks episode of The Bang of the Hound, it has been slightly delayed for one reason or another, but it is a singular honor, pleasure, privilege, and joy to have with me once again my good friend Sir rich Oh sorry, Lord Richard Moore, <laughs> as he's now calling himself on the No,
1: no, it I the funny thing is is a this my laptop is like seven years old at this right. point. And um I didn't have a name for it when I bought it years ago. So I was trying to link uh, my TV, my laptop, and my PlayStation all together. And I just said, well, let me name the laptop. I was like, okay, I'll just name it Lord Richard. And that, it's been like that. So every time it's like somebody will walk in, it's like, who's Lord Richard? Like, why is this trying to log on here? I'm like, that's my laptop.
0: Fantastic. Well, being as uh, I know you pretty well, I actually uh, read nothing into that. I thought, oh, he's just giving himself an honorific. I'm not going (laughs) to argue. I might actually do this episode, Lord Richard Moore, rather than Coach Richard Moore. I
1: think
0: it would be a a good selling point. So welcome back. Thanks for doing part two with us, bro. I mean, part one got such mental feedback because everybody was just like digesting it um and even at the time when we were talking about it i said i've got to have you back on again there's no way we can just leave this one hanging up in the air um and um yeah so thanks thanks again for coming back on for us i think one of the things i wanted to address last time because we actually got a little bit in the weeds actually we're not in a bad way um the conversation went very much towards um the training and the emphasis that we should have on the realistic training, uh, the proven training, and indeed the experiential training. But we actually stole a little bit of the gold that is your own life story. Um, (laughs) So why don't we go back to that? There's one bit in particular that I I find just not only heartbreaking in terms of what happened, but inspirational in terms of when it built built forward from there. And it's related to which you actually suffered a, a fucking severe injury like a really nasty injury didn't you and uh, you kind of built yourself back yes. up yes
1: yes and no um it was severe in the fact that it was one of those freak things that it took a while to heal um but it could have been much worse uh so for those of you don't know um it was uh summer 2007 i i just turned 30 that january um, got to see Queen with Paul Rogers that year, which that, that that made my that that was the beginning. I'm like, okay, this is the beginning of a good fucking year, you know. Got to see Queen, that you know, that was done. Um, got a new house. Um, uh, you know, it was just things were going okay. Um, I I had taken a quote unquote normal job after I got out of the military. Um, I was a a toy grader. I. I I've always been, like, a big nerd uh, when it comes to, like, Star Wars toys, you know, things like that. So, I had a little That's bit one of a the background. Reasons I think we get on so well, Infernus, it's... <laughs> you know, and it's it was one of those... It was it was a fun job. It, I mean, literally, I, I got up to go to work and I was excited because, you know, people would send stuff in to us, like, you know, uh, 1977 Star Wars toys, you know, to have them graded, encased in, like, an acrylic plastic. And you'd be amazed on how much of this stuff survived 30 40 years mm. and then how much it sells for oh just just to throw you a little nerd nerd turd sorry nerd nerd bit nerd. sorry nerd. <laughs> <laughs> <Another thing. laughs> uh, so they they uh before star wars came out in 1977 um kenner got the rights to make the toys for it mm. now uh, their sales people have what they call production samples. Now, production samples, they would go out to these different toy stores, you know, uh, shops, and uh, say, hey, this is what we got coming out to go- coincide with this movie and all things like that, so they could sell the product. Well, each each one of the production samples, uh, they had uh, Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader, and Obi-Wan Kenobi.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, each one of those had uh, – some of them came on the cards some of them didn't but they have what was uh it's like a little production error called uh the little sabers you could pull them out the arms things like that yep well these what they had they had what they call double telescoping sabers so it's like you would pull it out of the arm but there's a piece inside that one that kept coming out yeah you had like little flicky bit on the end yeah the little flicky bit on the end would keep coming out yes so um like only a handful of those have known to survive and uh one of the uh, one of the Obi Wan Kenobis on a card, uh, still intact, double telescoping saber, sold for roughly about twenty eight thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, it was just I, I was my mind was blown, so I was like, wow. So that little nerd turd there for you. <laughs> so we got the we got the
0: sto we seen Queen. We're yeah. nerd heaven. We got Obi Wan Kenobi figures coming in through the door, yeah. and things are looking good. Things are looking. Uh, good.
1: Yeah. So, um, I was doing something I had done probably a hundred times before, uh, removing some uh, supplies coming in off of a delivery truck, and I had stepped back, and if you've ever unloaded a delivery truck on a uh, onto a loading dock, you usually have what they call a deck plate. So, mm-hmm. where you, you got this gap here, this is where your truck is. This is where your dock is. Well, up here is where the, load, the deck plate goes, so you can go over it safely. Well, we didn't have a, a deck plate, and I stepped back. My heel caught. Excuse me. My heel caught. I fell back. Now, my head didn't hit the floor, but my spine, you know, my, I, I fell on my butt. Right. But I fell so hard that if, if you can imagine that this – my hand here is my spine. So at the top here is where your spine goes into your skull. Mm-hmm. And imagine, you know, your, your brain is like, uh, you ever seen those, um, tennis ball launchers that people have for their pets. You, you put it just yeah. ball. And it's like, and it, it, they launch it like that. Yeah. Well, imagine that your brain being the tennis ball inside that, but it doesn't come out. So it just bounces around that. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's what happened to me. My, the back of my head, hit hit the base of my skull and caused a, a small bleed. wasn't enough to really screw me up, but it was enough to short circuit what I had going on. So it, it took me about sixteen months to recover from it. So
0: I mean, so in that process of rebuilding, I mean, how do you actually deal with something like that mentally within yourself? Was it a case of, well, this kind of sucks. I roll my sleeves up because that's many people would see that as I'm done, you know. Um, whereas for yourself, it was almost. You rebuilt yourself up to push forward in certain next phase. So, take us through the mental process and the strength it took to actually get you through that piece.
1: Well, the, the first, I would say the first couple months were really hard just for the simple fact that I had a, uh, my neurologist was actually a world famous neurologist. Um, he had moved here from Ireland and uh, uh, Dr. Kennedy. And he was, Nice man, really great, had a great bedside manner. He was, like, 6'6", six, six. <laughs> and I mean, I mean, uh, monster hands. And it's, like, I, I felt like a small child every time. He was, like, just, like, putting his hands around my head. I'm, like, oh, my God, he's going to crush me. And, uh, and he said, you know, you have a 50-50 chance of either healing completely or not being able to walk without help for the rest of your life so, and that, I took that kind of hard because, I mean, just three years prior, I was jumping out of planes. I was, I was running young, you know, shooting everything else. So it was, it was, uh, it was a real kick in the balls. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so that on top of it, and I don't know how things go in, you know, Canada or England, things like that, but here this happened at work. So, you know, it's a workers' comp thing. Yep. And, uh, I mean, from the first week it happened, I had a private investigator sitting across the street watching my house with a camera.
0: Just to make to sure that you weren't pulling the fast one. Sorry. Exactly.
1: To make sure I went out there, you know, dunking hoops and things like that, you know? Holy crap. So that was a little unnerving because you never know. These guys may sneak in your yard, try to look in your house, things like that. So it it made me nervous. Um, not, not just because, you know, it's like, I was, I was already feeling down. Um, uh, some of the medicine they gave me made me nauseated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would have seizures just because basically it was enough of basically a tiny little blood like that, just enough to short circuit. So, I mean, I would, I could just sit there like we are now talking and seize out like, you know, or, uh, there were several instances where I was forgetting things. I was talking to somebody, you know, one week and the next week I, I don't, I had no recollection of talking to him. Right. So, um, but after about the first five to six months, things started getting a little better. I started getting strength back because I couldn't walk five feet without having to sit down. Mm. uh, sounds would irritate me even more, you know, so that combined with, you know, PTSD from, you know, combat tours. I was just, I, I was a mess. Um, I had, uh, blackout curtains all throughout the house because lights would cause me to seize or give me headaches. Mm. And so, I mean, I was pretty much a prisoner in my house. My, uh, my wife who wasn't even my wife at the time was my girlfriend was taking care of me. So, you know, she would take time off from work to take me to my appointments, uh, you know, go get me checked out. Uh, pick up my prescriptions. I mean, we're trying everything. Like uh, there was a Chinese doctor that um, was recommended by the neurologist for um, actually we tried the herbal medicine um, that was um, shown in studies to help re- reduce brain swelling. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a root mushroom tea. And the only way I could explain it is if you want to go out in your yard, dig a little dirt, put in some water, hot water. Sip it. <laughs> Did it actually work, though? I mean, was, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know, but it
0: make it worse. Certainly, I mean, you know, nice
1: no much cup of, nice cup of but, hot oil. But uh, you know, like I said, plus I was eating a lot because I was at home. I wasn't doing anything, so I, I got up to about two hundred thirty-five, almost two hundred forty pounds.
0: Wow!
1: So and at five nine, that's I was a portly little bastard.
0: <laughs> that's quite a lot for the frame, in fairness um so i mean did you find that you actually lost a lot of your longer term stuff as well so like you know the synaptic connections
1: between what you used to do physically yes and no um i think it the first uh like i said the first six months it was a little harder but things came back to me like um things you know things started clicking i i hadn't really forgotten any uh you know anything that I, I had learned before that um and that really had, that there wasn't a whole lot of i mean there was learning but there wasn't a whole lot of learning in that you know 16 month time frame but when, uh, you, when you did come back
0: did you find um or was there like a a, a, a plan laid out for you like um, this is what your your goalposts are going to be so walking by this point active by this point etc 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 or was it a something that you kind of mapped out for yourself and pushed through with.
1: Um, well there, uh, the doctors wanted me to do physical therapy, but the insurance wasn't going to pay for it. Classy. So yeah. And, uh, once, once I got cleared to, uh, by the doctor saying, Hey, you're good. You're walking around. You're fine now. Um, you know, I, I, I tried jumping back into things, um, physicality-wise, and the first workout, I was like, no, I got to rethink things, because I tried to go back at full steam, and that just, it wasn't happening, no. No. but uh, it, uh, well, it was one of those humbling moments, um, and actually a little bit of uh, a prideful moment, that I'm like, okay, here it is you know it's less than 2 years but i was literally having to go back and retrain myself physically to to run to you know work out to just build up the stamina again and some people you don't realize how much if if you're you live a sedentary lifestyle for so long that you're not doing anything that you just it, it's going to take you some time to get back. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So. And I think that's one of the things it, it kind of picks into when we were talking about the training and the things that we've done before. Um, when you do something and you do it consistently, the mm-hmm. results are consistent. When you do something sporadically, you don't get results. You have, no. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like, there's nothing there to get a result from. Yeah. Um, and certainly, I mean because you did beat yourself this was well before you know a lot of the prime dom and a lot of the bigger PS yeah. stuff that came laterally as well so although you were obviously in your your prime physically at the military prior to this afterwards you kind of like took it to a whole new level again Um talk us through like your thought process behind that and how you built yourself up and and and, and pushed forward to actually become that better version of rich and and all the projects that you actually ended up taking on because you rattled a fair few off you know tv chef and author and all that good stuff that went along with it so it i and the reason i'm asking the questions the why i'm asking them is because your whole thought process and the mental strength it took to to drive you through to go to these next levels as i said earlier on many people would have been finished they'd have been wheelchair for life and you know cheetos and and video games not there's anything wrong with that that's a no yeah that's actually a good weekend for me um but um but you didn't let what was uh, i mean potentially an absolutely life-shattering um injury become life defining and you built yourself up from that so take me through what you know that, that inner strength that you found and dug into to pull yourself through it
1: well honestly again the and not just you know Sometimes being prideful is sorry. I had serious gas today. I don't know why. But as long as it's coming out the top end and not the bottom end, it looks. Yeah. Um, no, that would be the kids. Yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes being prideful is a uh, is a bad thing. Mm. And then other times, and it, it's not. And that was part of the reason that I, uh. To, before I said, the doctor said, had I not been in such uh good shape before the accident it probably would have taken me longer to come back um that being said i was it was it was a blow to my pride that i couldn't just get you know hey you're you're ready to go you can go back you know you can go to workout do things like that you know train you know I, i just couldn't step back outside and start going full blast it was it was a blow to my pride and you know my ego so I sat down, uh, started reading things on the internet, you know, how to, you know, how to ease myself into things because I couldn't just go back to, uh, you know, fool's blasts, you know, military workouts. Um, cause I, I was, I was also scared at the same point as like, I don't want to sit there and jar my brain again. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Cause it 16 well, months. Cause
0: you bled once. There must be yeah. an increased risk of that injury,
1: like going again possibly um at this point i mean I've, I've had i've had an mri and there's no damn long-term damage shown so it was one of those little it was an it was enough blood there to just short circuit and screw me up for a while not but not a lasting um injury but uh so like i said i was uh i sat down i looked at things i looked at One, my weight was bothering me because at 240 pounds, like I said, I was uh, I was a portly fellow. I wasn't jolly at all. So, Um, and you know, before the accident, I was I had a size 32 waist. By the end of the by the time I was cleared to go medically cleared to go back and do things, I had a I was wearing a size 40 pants. So that that tells you a lot. That's a big old jump. Holy shit! Yeah. So. So, you know, looking at that, I mean, I was, I was just, it, it, it depressed me, but I also knew that being depressed about it, it's not going to change it.
0: Mm.
1: No matter, you know, I could sit there and wallow in my own self-pity. If I want something done, I got to ease back into it, get back into a routine. And I got to, you know, it, it's, I'm not that, I wasn't, well, I was 32, I think, once I really started getting back into things. Mm. And uh, not old, but not young by any means. And, you know, it was one of those things okay, let me sit down, make a plan, uh, which includes meal, exercise, and uh, just general. Life and daily. I mean, you literally Um,
0: behold your whole life and you just, this is what I've got to do. I've got to
1: change all these things. Pretty much. So, and, uh, so, I mean, I did change a lot of things. Um, and, you know, I developed habits when I had, uh, when I was hurt. So, uh, you know, I had to cut out the soda, Mm -hmm. um, had to cut out the junk food. Trust me. It was, it was sad saying goodbye to Pepsi and Doritos Really? <laughs> um but it uh it was just it was one of those eye opening moments, it's like I know I can do this, but it sucks. It it's hard. And you know, I, I didn't have anybody around at that time coaching me. And um so I was like, you know what, let me get back, you know, let me get back into the martial arts, you know, doing things. And uh, you know, I, I looked up uh, Paul Vunak again. and Because I, I had gotten to train a little bit um, when I was out in California before all this. And then uh, I had bought a black belt magazine. And there was an advertisement in there. Um, and it was, uh, it was a Paul Vunak. Um, I want to say it was a PFS. I think it was before, uh, before they officially launched DOM. And, uh, there was a picture of Sifu Singh and Cruz and, and I, I, so I was like, you know, let me sign up for this, check this out. And, uh, you know, so I was watching the rat videos and everything else. And, and I'm like, well, and I'm looking at, I'm like, I know this guy, I know that guy. And, um, and at this time I didn't know Singh and, uh, and I'm like, well, you know, who's this guy? Let me check it. So. I see that Singh is going to be at a uh, at a seminar down in Boca Raton, Florida, mm-hmm. and uh, so I drove down there for it, and uh, that's how I got started into the PFS Dom series because uh, um, Sifu uh, Singh was down there teaching, and I mean, I mean John Riddle's in Boca, wouldn't it? Yeah, 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 John Riddle's school down there, and. uh, I want to say, um, Coach Derek was down there. Sarah, yep. Um, and there are a couple other people down there. Um, uh, Julio, wow. and then uh, yeah, uh, but the, yeah. It was just it, it. That was one of the things that it, it gave me a boost. I needed it because it's kind of struggling with certain things, um, uh, motivation, and then I got got into all that, and I was like. Okay, I think I think I found my uh, I think I found my fix to what I'm missing here. Awesome. So
0: and I think because one of the things as a coach and the biggest frustration um, not necessarily with students but with people that always say they want to train or they want to get in shape, they want to lose weight, they want to do this, they want to do that, they want to do the other. Because everyone's got these aims and these goals in mind, and um, the, the the thing that always comes back is that man, it's it's really, really hard to lose weight or to get fit or to do that. Yeah. And I always say, actually, it's not. It's incredibly easy. The discipline is a bitch though, because yeah. that's the hard, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, you know, move around more and eat less. It's not difficult. The discipline to do that is what makes, and I suffer from the same sort of things myself, you know, like that getting <laughs> out of bed and everything aches and so, I'll just take it easy today. Um, so that's a constant battle that we all have within ourselves. Um, and I think that like, it's interesting that, you were already making those moves yourself, but you recognized that you needed to surround yourself with something more to kind of uplift you. Um, I mean, your own worst, you
1: are your own worst enemy. That's that's always bottom line. And you know, it was one of those things that it's, I knew what had to be done. I knew what I needed to do. It was just a matter of making myself do it. And that there were days that it just, it wasn't working Mm -hmm. like me thank god i got cleared uh literally um i would say it was middle winter here like uh january time frame so i could work out in my garage springtime it started warming up so i could go outside um and that's that's what really kickstarted. and once i did i mean you know i was watching what i ate um exercise more and yeah you, know, you don't have to work out two hours you don't have to work out an hour. I mean, thirty minutes a day will actually help you start shedding some pounds. You'll feel more energetic. You'll sleep better sometimes. Mm. But me, I was spending two hours working out. Uh, I had the homemade Gattas, um sandbag uh, boxes, and just doing calisthenics. Um, and before I knew it, I mean, I was I was back down to probably 205 mm. and uh you know i was happy at that point Well, coming from, myself. Military-
0: <laughs> coming from a military background though i mean the idea of having a strong team with you is paramount you know the ability yeah. to work in that team and have the people that support and look out for each other um, sometimes when you don't get on personally you have to make that jump professionally to make sure that you're all yeah, care of each other. And that accountability piece seems to be something that you then took with you into the martial arts world because, I mean, that was a, a killer's role at the seminar you listed off there. I mean, you got John Riddle, Derek Sierra, obviously seeing himself for the Atlanta. Yeah. Um, Adam Brady probably would have been there if it was down in Florida as well. It might have been
1: um, in... Uh, Javier, uh, I can't think yeah, of Javier. Yeah, Javier another sister. awesome dude. So there's
0: another dude to kind of build himself up as well, but he's surrounding yourself with that positivity and the people that will help you get through. I mean, they're not going to sugarcoat shit and they're not going to let no. you get away with slacking off, but they are going to make you become the best you can be. Um, taking that same approach that you did to rebuilding yourself physically and, you know, it, it's self-evident that if you've got a lot of people around you lifting you up, it will help you grow better. Yeah it's almost paradoxical and it kind of comes full circle to what we discussed last time that when you do combatives style training, you have to go with people that are going to beat you down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so it's almost the exact opposite in terms of, of the physicality thing. Cause it's like, um, that honesty with yourself, for me, I have to keep that realism in my training. And the reason that, and the way I do that is by getting battered on a, on quite a regular basis is that, sense of honesty and integrity something you've always
1: carried through in your own combatives and, and martial training probably not it it honestly it did not i don't think it really fully clicked until uh when i was in coronado out in california mm-hmm. and then I, I got introduced to the the pfs the first time right right and um uh, that that i think things started to click it's like you're not going to learn if you don't have anybody that's going to push you. Um, you're you're not going to get better if you're not pushing yourself. And um, and that it was actually that probably one of the uh, one of the downfalls to my school was I had people coming in and you know they they thought oh, okay this is kind of cool you're fighting with sticks and knives and. But they, some of them felt that they wanted what the Taekwondo school was offering, the, the karate school, you know, the, not necessarily the belt factory, but uh, they wanted that family atmosphere. And one of the first, I had a poster that I had made, and it's the first rule of the school was, if you don't want to get hit, this is not the school for you.
0: I don't attend for honesty, one out of 10 for marketing.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> and you know again it was and i had i had adults and you know i wasn't i wasn't battering them but i was pushing them like look if you want to learn you know in sparring sessions not try to sn- swing and knock each other's heads off but you you know if i'm gonna kick you in the midsection. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna try to kick through you, but I, I want you to feel what I'm doing because in a real fight, somebody kicks you there, somebody hits you in the face. You know they're not gonna let you reset and see how that felt. Mm-hmm. They're gonna keep going. They're gonna you know they're gonna do something to hurt you. We we, we um, term it consequence to
0: failure um, in habit. Yeah. So it's like it doesn't have to be hard. It's like if I'm gonna hit you in the head, and it's like that can be it. But you know you failed at a bank. Yeah. Okay, this hurts. Stop it okay, we'll do something about it and I'll stop it. And it's, do you know what I mean? It's not like, boom, there goes your the team.
1: That or, you know, it's like, you know, I, I did uh, – I used to do what we I'd call like a, uh, like a one-minute wall turtle. And what would happen is I would take two students and you're going to – basically, you're going to turtle up, but your back's going to be to the wall. You're going to be sitting at this and you've got another uh, – You've got another um, student just lightly throwing punches, you know, to the abdomen, to the arms, you know, about the head. No, nothing to nothing, nothing, to hurt you, nothing to knock the wind out of you, but just so you get that feeling, you know, cover up because this is what you may have to do mm. when you're actually out there fighting with somebody. And it's, it's the, the gauge how well, not how well you can take an ass-whipping, but how well you could sit there. Okay, you could weather the storm for, you know, 30 seconds to a minute. Now, switch it out. Now you're the you're the other students, the the wall turtle, and now you're the one, you know, throwing out the uh, punches. And one, you got to have the stamina to sit there and take a beating. You got to have the stamina to, you know, push out a beating. Let's put it that way. And uh, it just—I I realized that some people were not ready for that, and um, that's it. That again—that that was—that was, that was a self-learning moment for me because something I could do, and I wasn't—I wasn't just trying to push people to it. I wasn't trying to push, you know, uh, say, "Hey, we're going to throw you in here and beat the crap out of you." But I—I I tried to prepare people for the reality of getting into a fight. You're giving them what they're in theory
0: coming to you for, which is, yes. like, you know, you, you're saying you want this self-defense. Um, it's a discussion I've had many times with a lot of the, uh, uh, the people, not only on the bank but also on the offline thing. Um, and Singh used to say to me at the beginning, because like yourself, I was like,
1: just
0: <clears throat> real fight and all about that sort of thing. And he said, you'll have some very good students. You just won't have many of them um and i was like no 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 the real thing the real deal the real deal and it is a long time coming to maintain the integrity of the art i teach but recognize that you really have to drip feed this in you can't go to 100 miles an hour straight away because certainly yeah day to day most people i mean like yourself certainly nothing to the the, i'm not comparing you know catching a shoplifter to leading the seal team boat raid or anything like that but i've been at the sharp end of the wedge so for me it was all about okay i've got to try and convey this to you what happens when people fight and, and get it and most people don't not only don't know of that world they just aren't ready for it
1: exactly um,
0: and and i i find that the training has to soften and you have to give them samplers so every so often, crank the volume a little bit, give a little bit more bass, but then back again to the treble. And it's an interesting dichotomy within the martial arts world because like yourself, I had a traditional background before I came to the more pragmatic side of the fence. And I found that the techniques I had because I put them through the, the pressure were actually still working for me. So I, when people were decrying the traditional stuff that didn't work, I'm like, well, it, it kind of does. But I'd had that, Pressure ingredient in there. Now, most schools, and I'm not dissing them for not being this way, because as we've established, there's certainly no longevity from a business perspective in that. But most of the traditional schools just move completely away from that because they realize we can't keep students or maintain any growth or expansion by doing this. So the traditional yeah. arts became the pastime. And the sport arts, your Muay Thai, your MMA, they got the guys that actually don't mind so much being in the trenches because they know they're going to get hit anyway. So that became the boxing of the new millennium, for want of a better word. It's
1: it's funny. It's it, it, you liking it like that. Um, I was uh, watching uh, Dark Side of the Ring last night. Oh okay. uh, yeah. Which one? And it was it was the uh, New Jack episode. Oh yes, what a cracker that was! That was a good one. though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they uh. It's kind of it's it's kind of like that. It's uh, like Jim Cornette said that, uh, you know, ECW amped it up to where you had guys that wanted to come in. They were throwing punches for real. They were hitting each other for real mm-hmm. versus your traditional wrestling spots where, you know, they might be pulling their punches and you're hitting the ring to make it look like a chair shot, whereas these guys were actually beating the piss out of each other. And that it,
0: it is interesting, though, because – Jim Connett, who's a, one of my favorite wrestling personalities, actually said the same thing. Once you set the bar here, this is now the new normal.
1: Exactly. You got to where do you yeah, go from? Where are you
0: going from here? Now it's like right. Okay, what are we doing in training tonight? Well, we're going to put barbed wire around the end of this bat, and we're going to see how far we can, you know. And I, I found the same thing because if you get a new student coming into an established core, you can't. If you're if you're at this level, you can't bring someone in here, and then because these guys ain't dropping down and you can't no. bring them up that quick. So you're actually not allowing these guys to grow and develop. They become stagnant within their own training and anybody coming in, isn't going to get what they need. They're going to have to go down the road to the McDojo factory because they've got yeah. no other choice. So yeah, it's interesting. You reference that. That also brings us to the point that we were discussing last week with regards to training within the military, the police, um, and the associated uh, groups like the paramedics um, and to an extent, you know, the, the, the firing people like this as well. There's a progression that has to be in any training. It's like you don't give a nurse a pack of bandages or some scissors and say, "Hey, go and stitch up that that gunshot victim over there." You teach them the bits and pieces they know before that. I mean, ultimately they're going to have to face the trauma, but you give them all the ingredients leading up to that point. Well, Why here,
1: you, sorry, go here on. it's a uh, here you have to have a a four year nursing school to become a nurse. Just mm-hmm. just to be a uh, uh, just to be a nurse then you can uh you can get your bachelor's of science in nursing mm-hmm. um, you can get your critical care nursing so it's, it's it's basically constant school so you actually you have um i think it's it's uh, two years that they have to be in school before they're actually allowed to go out to like a, um, a hospital as a student and do um clinicals and things like that here uh EMT, it's, uh, five months advanced EMT. It's another six months. Mm-hmm. Um, paramedic, you're looking at like a year, um, up to 16, 14 to 16 months, depending on the school. Right. But you know, in that you, you have clinicals you have where you're working in the ER you're working on the ambulance. Um, and it's for EMS, which is, EMT, AMT, paramedic, things like that. It's, the schools are accelerated because it's a, it's a different um, – from the nursing perspective, as is you're expected to do such, such and such and such with little to no oversight and um, a more chaotic environment, mm-hmm. uh, and pretty much you and your partner is your team. Whereas you go to a hospital, you got, you got doctors, you got nurses, you got PAs, you got everybody, you know, um, when I was going through med school, uh, I had to do, uh, what we call intubation, uh, clinicals at, um, at the, um, surgery center out here. And, uh, basically what it is is, uh, you know, you're, you're sticking a tube down somebody's mouth. Now it's a skill that's required of us when we're on the ambulance. So, it's just me, you know, when I'm doing it on the ambulance. Whereas here in the surgery center, you got you got um, your anesthesiologist who's controlling your drugs and actually does the intubation. Sorry. Okay. Um. So, and then you've got a. a You've got a respiratory technician that's watching the the monitor to make sure that you've got a great waveform. You know that they're breathing properly and things like that. And they inflate the balloon for you once you've you know drop. So you've got a whole team of things, and uh, it's you could see the different levels of training. Whereas, and some of those people aren't accepting of you coming into their house working mm. versus you know some of them are, some of them are not just, um, yeah. but again, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, a, a rung, a different rung of training. Whereas, you you know, like a, you step it up, you, you got your basic, you know, you got your beginner's class, which is, you know, EMT, things like that. And then you got your advanced and then paramedic is your, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I got hold Holy you, bro. <laughs> uh, so, um, but yeah, like you said, it's with military, with a uh, EMS, police, fire, um, things like that, and nurses. It's you have to ease people into things. Yeah. You can't just say, "Here you go." But when it comes to the uh, the EMS field, it, it is out of all of them. It is the the quickest, and it's more as here's here's what you need to know. Read it from the book, pass the test. There you go. And. Uh, it's significant though, because there's
0: day one, page one, two, sometimes you yeah. skip ahead, come back a chapter, do revise, test it again. Um, but the difference between the first day on the job EMT and the tenure on the job EMT is experience. It's the same skill. Yeah. just got more, same skill, yeah. same skill. They, got, they know nothing extra. Obviously a few tricks you pick up along the way, but it's the same skill, you know the same thing. The only difference is the experience. Now, when it comes to training, On the side of things and i'm going to use again the police example here the physical side of things like the hard skills um they don't do that there's no here you start here's your progression here's your experience sort of thing because the training doesn't allow them to do that you've got a very narrow period of time to do your training in whether that's a physical the firearm or whatever now the firearm putting a shot on target is one thing, putting a shot on target under pressure is something else. But
1: well, how many times did you have to qualify a year? Uh, three. Three? So one, once every four months?
0: Uh, yeah, or was it once every quarter? Three or four, is either once every, uh, uh, th- no, mine once a quarter, actually, yeah, no, tell like four, um, we had to re-qualify with a firearm, which is woefully inadequate, it really was, but at least it was four times a year doing that. Yeah. Physical side of things was once a year, on whatever subject they decided we were going to cover that year. And it was for like an hour to two hours, tick the box, refresher off you go. There was no pressure test. There was no refresh of skills. There was no revisiting what you had or hadn't done. And most of the guys that were going to do this probably hadn't touched this shit, maybe since they did it last re-qualification, which was the year before, if they'd used the same topic or two to three years before, if it was a new thing. And it was a very telling to me, um, especially now if you look at the environment they're going to the police training. Um, now everyone's saying, well, you know, the police need this, the police need that. And the police need the other. It's not the officer's fault that the system is setting them up for failure. You don't give a guy who, p- if I gave you like literally a band aid and some alcohol and said, right, go out there and treat a trauma victim. You're not going to succeed. That victim's going to die on you. That's not your fault. <laughs> I just did shit, shit that you could fix it with, you know? Um, and it's the same with the training and the things that we do you're not going to be able to deal with someone physically if you haven't been trained taught and conditioned to deal with someone physically exactly. and it, it i feel for the officers i do because i was there the training at the academy was horseshit if i had not have had everything behind me there's no way i've been able to do it so you end up going back on that instinct that visceral instinct which is why when you see guys just throwing fists and like putting that's all they know to do. They're in a high high state of stress and adrenaline. And I know you've been there as well. So your visceral response is what's going to come to the surface. And that's what their visceral response is because they have nothing else to fill that blank.
1: Exactly. And it it, it really does go back to a lot of what I said last week is, you know, I'm not knocking people that haven't, you know, been in police, fire, EMS, you know, military things. Like I'm not knocking them, you know, it's you know, when they're training thing, but until you've been like, let's say instance for, as an officer, until you sat there and you're on your third shift that week, Mm -hmm. you're exhausted. You're, you know, and then you are just dealing with the the biggest asshole that you find that day. It's, it's, it's mentally, it's a wear down and you want to get it done as quick as possible. And, you know, you're going to lose your temper, you know, um, possibly. Uh, Almost inevitably. It's just how much – if you find it again, (laughs) you can lose it as long as you find it. If you don't have have the de-escalation training or if you don't actually have the hand-to-hand skill, you know, the outcome is not going to be pretty. Like, I mean, if you don't have that – if you don't have that confidence to sit there and say, hey, I can mix it up with this guy before having to pull my sidearm – chances are you're going for that side on first. And a lot, of, a lot of police are taught to go for side on first. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And it comes back to that warrior
0: mentality. Um, again, I, I stress, I, I go towards the guardian end of the fence. We should be guardians, not warriors. Um, but the warrior mentality is survive the fight, and it's hammered into you. Because you're in a fight, you're in a fight, you've got to survive the fight, you've got to survive the fight. Well, you're already looking at, I've got to survive this no matter what. If you, as you say, not confident in going hands-on, You're going to go hands off with the magic bangy wand. You know, I wave this and all the problems disappear, you know. Um, What do you think the answer is to this? Because I know myself and you, and I spoke to uh, Dee Burton offline as well, and we're looking at coming together as a meeting of the minds to move something forward as a a product, for want of a better word. Um, Do you think now, because there should be an appetite for it, but do you think there'll be a willingness to take it up? Because to say we need this now is saying well what we've been doing before isn't working. And the polarity at both ends of the scale, you've got the you support the police no matter what, and then you've got the fuck the police no matter what. And there doesn't seem to be any meeting of the minds here at the moment. And how well, do you
1: think we can actually break through that? Not to get too political, it's but you you have like you said you have the you have the fuck police side and then you have the support the police side mm-hmm. and caught in the middle you have the police just is true and yes, um it's actually true you know you know they're not going to turn their back on this side but whereas let me, okay let me rephrase like in all professions police nursing doctors military ems you you have your good and you have your bad and your your bad police in the middle are going to sit there and just really screw it up for the others and it's instead of trying to sit there and say hey how can we fix this you know each side, both these, you know, the middle and this side here are sitting there. They're, they're, they're just taking that stick and just jabbing at each other, just trying to, like, get that rise. Mm. And uh, it's, it, as us, for the three of us as a collective, it's one of those things that's like, you know, look, we've we've done this. We, we've seen this lifestyle. We know this lifestyle. And a lot of it does fall back to the point where it's, it's the officers have to, I guess, be willing to sit there instead of depending on the firearm, depending on themselves. You know, um, the firearm's and, a tool; they're the weapon. Yeah, the top, the fire, tool, yeah. and, trust me, and, and, but I'm also I'm all for you know the fact that hey, if that situation is how you you got to be able to get to that weapon too because sure. you have every right to go home to your family. You have every right just to go home that night, having done your job. That being said, is it, it just it keeps coming back to? Don't depend on the firearm, but it's there if you need it. You know, a lot of a lot of the a lot of the incidents we could, we've seen is could have been um, de-escalated by, you know, uh, a verbal judo, It really. There was one – did you see the one recently with the two officers that were shot with
0: a guy that got the gun from under his seat?
1: Mm, um, uh, are we talking about the ones in California? Uh, yes. Uh, I, I, I can't remember where it no, was. That's, that's 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 the, the one that just happened with the two sheriffs in California. The guy was a uh, BLM um, member, protester, whatever you want to call it, walked up to their patrol car.
0: Oh, no, no, no. It wasn't that one it wasn't
1: that one um that was horrendous that was yeah. very. that was got through shocking. the face i mean through the mouth like
0: yeah no no no. it, it wasn't that one it was um they, they stopped the guy um and what i think they believed i think it was an impaired and um in the end he ended up getting a gun out from under the seat and shooting them both um, no, I didn't see that but leading up to that he i mean they tased the guy pepper sprayed the guy and right from the beginning, go, 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 fucking go, fucking yo, know, I'll fucking tell you, motherfucker. And it's and it's like oh, holy shit. And this guy was actually his body language. I'm not excusing everything he did because at the end of the day, he'd done something wrong. You don't then go for the gun because you're getting picked on for doing something wrong, you know? Yeah. Um, but there's ways you can lead into this that don't end up in a gunfight. Um, and the guy was scared and fearful. And there's always a danger, and I'm going to bring this to the civilian. I'm going to steer it a little bit away from from the police and and the operations because we can certainly go down that rabbit hole very, very easily. But when you put someone in the corner, or whether that's an individual, don't be surprised when you give them no other option that they then fight. Exactly. Um, You've got to allow them to reach a conclusion. I mean, there's a time when you, like you said, when you'll go for that gun. And as sometimes it's absolutely unavoidable, no matter what. And what you want is compliance, not necessarily understanding. But there are ways to get there that don't force that person to make a snap decision. You can always allow them. You got an either or here. Mm-hmm. You know, you know the, the the old joke. There's two ways this can
1: go. One of them's conscious. Well, <laughs> you know it, the way you speak to somebody, the way you approach and speak to somebody can determine the outcome of that incident absolutely it can and again body language if you watch a lot of these videos a lot of the officers are walking up and I, I get you know it I understand their fear but they're walking up to the vehicle with their hands already on their sidearm
0: mm-hmm.
1: now I'm not saying that's wrong because I've seen where you walk up and they, they come they just turn out fire shots off at you You know at the officer that I I get that but but here's my question for you, because you've been
0: there as well. You've worked firearms as much as I have. Have you ever been able to get your gun out any faster, having your hand on it?
1: Not really. Not that- no.
0: I, it, I'll be honest. It slows me down. Because for me, if I'm going to do a, qu- a quick draw, if I want a better word, the old Wired Up Special, I have to move to draw. If I'm already locked to it, when I move, my body's locked. I ain't getting a faster draw off. I mm. gain nothing by doing this tactically other than telling the other person hey look at this motherfucker i've got a gun um and it seems to be again like you said the approach dictates what happens now the law says you don't an officer of the law is an empowered citizen we don't have authority as officers of the law we don't i'm not an officer of the law anymore I'm just a everyday schmo now um but we don't have arbitrary right over life and death on an individual just because we're an officer of the law so if we're putting you in a position where you're scared and you're fearful with the climate in america you can understand why sometimes that happens your response back to that can be legal so even if i stop you for doing something illegal if i then cause you to fear for your life and the act that you were doing doesn't necessarily warrant that kind of lethal force your response from that can still be legal and moral independence. It's an absolute quagmire of morality and legality. And this again comes back to what we often talk about when if you're getting trained on someone, trained by someone, if they haven't been there, go away, walk away from that school. We have guys that I know of that are teaching security and law enforcement programs that are just disgraceful. They're doing techniques that are actually banned because they think you know they've seen it on the oh it looks cool on the list. No. You don't understand why you're doing it. You've seen it. You think it looks cool. You think this is what we should be doing or law enforcement should be doing. You do not know. You should not be teaching this shit. And it's the same, I I find what you, I think we're in agreement and in accord on this. When we take anything from what we do to a civilian market, to a law enforcement market or to whatever market we're putting it to, we have to know that subject intimately if we're going to be teaching it. Well, that
1: and and I think, a lot of these people that that uh, that teaches that teach class, you know, you really should look at the legal ramifications of what you're. Te- if you sit there and like, okay, Absolutely. like um, if you're teaching somebody uh, JKD or Wing Chun, uh, and you know you go for the eye jab, okay, mm-hmm. you better be prepared. For that person to come back in legally, you know. Yeah. I, I yeah. Gold. And, and I'm not saying, <laughs> what a gold know. comment. <laughs> Absolutely right. You don't get Carl Blanche. You I really got asked one time in a in a seminar because I was teaching the you know the eye jab and uh, I was teaching the one finger and the and the lady asked me says well when do you stop and I'm like when you reach the back of the skull, but I also said. <laughs> <laughs> <Different headlines. laughs> but i said it you it the the use of lethal force better be warranted mm. because you're gonna get probably sued you may get arrested you you, you don't know you, like I said, the use of force must be justified mm. and, and even even if it's even if it's not lethal and people are like, what do you mean by that i'm like if you sit there and uh you take somebody down, or you put them in an arm bar, and you snap that arm, or you you know you snap that forearm. You you go to, you know, do a G and freaking kick the knee out, or you kick the knee back. Be prepared. Every action has a reaction, and that reaction may not be get for them to kick your butt, but they may sue the hell out of you. Yeah. Do you think? I mean
0: could not absolute gold and it's almost like i've primed you for this because this is the shit i keep <laughs> and you see this is why we get on so well you know we're absolutely <laughs> according to this um this I like is, that little brother shirt yeah, oh yes yeah, cool it? it's a good one. um but it's true because you can't give someone God, oh that's that old bfs one you've got trapping shirt nice love it um, for anyone that's actually listening on audio later on, Rich has got a fantastic shirt with um, uh, a guy just did a pack on a chun choice, like gut trapping. It's, it's awesome. We're um, coming back to like the legal side of things as well, everything has, like you said, every action has a consequence. Every choice has a cost. There's a choice to deciding to hit someone, there's a choice to deciding sure. to not hit someone. It's your willingness to pay that cost and your awareness of what that cost is. Exactly. So when I'm teaching, and I'm not going to pick on them directly, but a lot of the people from I'll, I'll call them the Crab Magar style schools.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um so I'm not picking on Crab as an art, but I'm using that as an, an example of that military style combat thing. Everything, and I mean everything they do is, is to the death. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah. and there's a time when you absolutely need that. If you don't have that on your tool belt, you, you, you're lesser. But there's and, also a time when someone says, give me my, give me your wallet, that you give them your wallet and let them walk up with your wallet. Yeah. Y- you have to know that. If, if there's a lawyer riding every punch. There's a lawsuit riding every kick. And there's a court case riding every eye jab, you know? It, it, and, and that's
1: the thing, like you said, with Krav Maga or just anybody in general, You, it, it's great to have that ability, mm-hmm. but... The better part of it is when to use that ability. Yeah. If it's just a simple fist fight with a drunken jackass, okay, you, you don't have to maim them. No. <laughs> you don't have to take their eye. You don't have to, you know, kneecap. But when they, when you get into a fight with someone that calls for that, that someone's either breaking into your house or trying to carjack you, and hey, you, you realize you, you're at that point, you're like, I'm going to fight back okay go for it just be aware of you know the outcome that may come from what you're
0: doing yeah there's no there's no sense in winning the battle and losing the war. um and i've often said how to do something and what to do and uh it's not difficult to teach when and why is a shit of a thing to get people used to it's it's not not an easy thing at all um we've hit the hour mate again I can go for no um but there's so much great stuff going in so again I, i'm going to get another commitment from you would you be happy to come back on and do it again yes what i'd like to do next time though and i'm throwing this out there is maybe i have yourself and d on the same cast and we get awesome. we, we get three heads banging together like that and see what we can get out from this um because i think that would make for an exceptional viewing experience i'm all for it brother let me know all right wonderful well richard thank you once again for taking an hour out of your day to sit with uh, us. i mean I, I could have gone on for hours i literally just could have kept going it's, it's just an absolute
1: we're, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to just do that one and just say hey we're gonna go from this time to
0: yeah we just, this is when we start we're just gonna go <laughs> and see where we end up just keep going yeah exactly um once again many many thanks my brother it's it's a it's always an honor just to talk to you and just to just shoot the shit i'm just happy yeah i know man i know and um, we'll be in touch soon uh, thanks again rich for joining us all right um, you take care yourself man and uh, stay frosty uh, and there you go so richmore again like i said these hours with these guests i'm having on blink of an eye gone because there's so much material that's in here and um, you can see the passion guys have that when you get rich talking about stuff and then i get fired up too because this is stuff we believe in we've lived this this is stuff that we want to share to get out to people like the correct way of doing things and what we perceive as a correct way of doing things and to cut through the swathe of of hype and nonsense and politicking this out there is always a very tricky thing to do which is why i'm grateful to have Friends, um, associates, and, and, and guys like Rich that I know that I can bounce ideas off that I can talk to about. And I'll, I'll send him a message like, Am I going mad or is this? And he's like, No, no, I thought the same shit. Um, it's to have that accord and that, and that support system around you. And I think that's a fantastic takeaway. Take that back to the beginning of the interview. Doing things on your own and working through this world on your own, we're ultimately responsible for our own actions and our own well being. But if we surround ourselves with the right people, they can help lift us up and we end up becoming an egregore. It's a group group mindset that helps lift us to a higher level than we're capable of achieving on our own. And you'll be surprised at what you can achieve as an individual, whether that's a weight loss goal, a self-defense goal, a competition goal, a life goal, if you surround yourself with other people that similarly lift you up. You surround yourself with people that complain all the time or people that have a negative outlook, guess what happens to you? So, it's the same thing. And I've been there. I, 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 nothing that I do in my life is ever um, the result of perfect choices um, and the result of many, many mistakes I've made along the way. And I'm sure Richard would back me up on that with some of the stuff that he's done over the years as well. Um, so, yeah, once again, thank you for joining us on the bang of the hound. Um, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, because again, we're all we've got and um, we're in this world together and we're going to leave it (laughs) at some point so let's make it the best place we can while we're here i will see you next time guys stay frosty stay safe thanks again